Once upon a time, there was a little boy called Rufus who loved writing stories. Little Rufus dreamed of being a writer. So he stood in English literature. Don't tell him that he shit does, he might fight you. Even though it's true, even though he is second worst writer in the world. 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 He's so mediocre, he can't even claim to be the worst writer. So if you think about it, he's actually worse than the worst writer in the world. Hello and welcome to the worst writer in the world with me, Howard Long. Yeah. And with me as yeah. ever, with me, with me as <laughs> ever, he's, he's sticky. Is, uh, you can do a little bit. He's sticky. <laughs> yeah. He, he yeah. comes on a roll and you use him for making Christmas good. <laughs> It's Rufus Penzance. You use him for making Christmas good. <laughs> Sticky and comes on a roll. Yeah. Are you talking about sellotape? Yeah, yeah. You're talking about scotch sellotape. tape, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and that's what makes Christmas good. Not not the food, not the family, not the friends, not the presents. No. Not the Santa Claus coming down your chimney. Well, it stops It stops your dad climbing up the chimney in the first place. If you cover <laughs> the fireplace with the sellotape, you... It's like, you know, on my, on my sofas, I've got double-sided sticky tape to stop the cat scratching. It, right? Yes, and and that's the same the same approach, but with your dad, dad. getting up the chimney and dying, <laughs> dying. Right? Just yeah. put a load of double tidy sticky tape. He's like, oh, I don't like that, and he goes away. Just put it, just it diverts his attention. Exactly, and Christmas, and then he goes over to his yeah. goes over to his dadding post that you've bought <laughs> yeah. especially for, for him to dad on, and he uses that instead. Yeah. And then he doesn't die up a chimney. Doesn't die up a chimney. So. <laughs> Instantly making Christmas better. Yeah, <laughs> and then you all sit around together, going, you know what? This Christmas is better than Phoebe Cates's in Gremlins. <laughs> yeah, because because you, Dad. Oh, not dead up a chimney. Well done. Congratulations. <laughs> and if you don't know what we're talking about, then you haven't listened to our fantastic Gremlins episodes. Mm. And I say episodes because there's three of them, right? Yeah. Yeah, more than there are Gremlins movies. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Although, to be fair, episode one and two, the description of Gremlins, and episode three, Gromlins. <laughs> Basically, spoilers. Basically, the same story. <laughs> Not spoilers. This episode comes after that. Yeah, but you if you're just spoilers. joining you us, <laughs> like in a series, you go, oh, "We can't mention anything that happened in the last season because that'd be spoilers." <laughs> when they do the like last last week on Buffy or whatever, no, 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 don't listen. It's spoilers <laughs> about what I watched last week on uh... Buffy. Well, fine, if we're doing that then. Bruce Willis was a ghost all along. <laughs> yeah, and he hated buildings. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure that's, yeah, that's, that's Bruce Willis's whole character. That's Bruce Willis canon. <laughs> Bruce Willis in a nutshell. One is a ghost. Two fucking hates buildings. <laughs> we'll attack them, give her the chance. All right, now I'm going to take... Do you want to do the next bit as well, Howard? Do you want to do the thanking bit? Since yes. You're, since you're in charge Thank this week. Thank you, everybody listening to this podcast, specifically <laughs> um, yeah. the British Comedy Guide and the man <laughs> behind yeah. the British Comedy Guide, Mark... <laughs> Um, but wow, also name like... check. I, know, I never do that. <laughs> yeah. Now you're doing that, so you're his favourite mm-hmm. now, aren't you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd also like to thank my mum. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. Everybody I mean, at the a, academy. A, this is not this is what? not an award ceremony, okay. and B, if it is, don't thank your mum. <laughs> <laughs> she'll only she'll only tell you you suck. 
You know, but she did give birth to me, which is more than can be said for me dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ow, that, yeah. that thanks you gave. Mm. That thanks you gave me were rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> it was rubbish, thanks. Do it again, do it better. Um, That's my impression of your mum there. Pretty good, pretty good. Impression of your mum. Um, I'd like to thank Rufus Penzant um, for <laughs> okay, always being okay, there. Um, you, so, and also, the, oh, go on, you. you, the listeners. One group. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. And and one more group. And especially... The people who pay us. The, the people, people who, give who us pay money. us. That's you, the Patreons <laughs> on <Yeah>. Patreon. <laughs> thank you so much. So do you know what we are going to listen to this week, Howard? Do you know what episode this is? Yes, I do. I do actually know because I've listened to the previous episode. And I have to say, <laughs> I have to say, to my surprise, having probably never heard it in about five years, it was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have to say, one of my favourite episodes I'd heard. Really? Yeah. No, I was, I was very... all, at all, not yeah, just was... by you, but at all. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I was, um, so, oh, so you're of, winning of <laughs> any show, which is Howard's. <laughs> cool. Why? Why? What was it about it that you enjoyed? Just enjoyed the twists, I suppose. At heart, oh, the twists and turns. At heart, I'm a kind of like I like twists, um, even if the story is meaningless. So that's why I like M. Night Shyamalan, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> Yeah. I'm That's there for the twists. Bruce Willis. Yes. Big fan of Bruce Willis. Unexpectedly attacking, attacking a, a building. building. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, it's this. Um, so I'm doubly excited because this is the finale of what has been a pretty exciting story, I think. Yeah, this is the last chapter of Gret Binchleaf and the Adventure of the Very Bad Dog. And yeah. I get to write it. Hooray! So I'm sure... I'm sure it'll be highly intelligent and not at all gimmicky. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Let's let's get on with it, shall we? Yes, please. The plot so far. Hooray! Gret Binchleaf has escaped from hell several times. Satan wants him back, but it's difficult because Gret's a slippery customer. Yeah. Brackets, he sweats a lot. Close brackets. <laughs> There's also been a three-headed dog in the story occasionally <laughs> who speaks with three different voices when Howard writes him but tends to favour his zippy head in Rufus's chapters for some reason. A load of other stuff's happened, including people getting stranded on Uranus, the Pope having a crab on his face, <laughs> Satan trying to drill to heaven, a lot of ghosts escaping from the underworld, and Gret Binchleaf condemning Jeremy Shelton to eternity in hell because it was his birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Look, all you need to know is that Satan's trying to get Gret back into hell. Gret's trying to avoid that, and a lot of people have been killed in the process. So, without further aplomb, <laughs> let's get started with the final instalment of Gret Binchleaf and the Adventure of the Very Bad Dog, The Prologue. Ooh. A cool breeze blew through the pie trees of Uranus, <laughs> making, <laughs> making the leaves shiver and several ripe pies fall to the ground below. Actually... Perhaps cool breeze is the wrong term for 900 kilometre per hour, minus 200 degree winds that are full of razor shards of ice and methane bullets. <laughs> Google, Google. I'll start again. A fucking terrifying death wind screeched <laughs> through the hardy space trees, and thank goodness there were no squirrels in them, because there's nothing cute about frozen dead squirrels. <laughs> no one wants it to rain ice squirrels, not even Inuku. <laughs> and and he wants crabs to go big. So you'd think he'd enjoy it when stupid, pointless things happen. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, Uranus was cold. Ah. Virtually nothing could survive on Uranus. <laughs> 
The horrors of Uranus could only be borne by the hardiest, most determined life forms in the universe. Pie trees, time lords, and those <laughs> giant cockroaches that we didn't mention last time but were definitely there. <laughs> and, of course, a small number of deeply unfortunate humans. Jesus Christ in a white wine sauce, said Henry Robert Hutch. It's later than I thought. This is the guy from the spaceship, right? Yeah, in chapter four. Mm. The sun was setting over the verdant pie forests, but the sun was so far away it barely made a difference. Day was dark and miserable and rubbish, and night was darker and miserabler and rubbisher. But night was worse, because in the absolute blackness you were always tripping over the frozen dead squirrels that littered the ground. <laughs> no, no, hang on. I, I said there were no squirrels on Uranus. Oh, okay, you wouldn't trip over squirrels, but you might get eaten by a giant cockroach. Ooh. Because there were loads of giant cockroaches on Uranus, mm. even though we didn't mention them last time. Fine and short Uranian days, grumbled Henry as he switched on his big torch. <laughs> Come on, boys, we'd better get you inside before we all freeze to death. Or get eaten by those cockroaches which have always been here. <laughs> Henry began the long trudge back to his farmhouse, and the herd of 762 dogs obediently followed him. Ooh. Henry! Henry! came a familiar voice through the darkness. Get those dogs in the barn, you useless space dingbat! I don't want to spend tomorrow clearing up hundreds of frozen dog corpses again, you pig-headed twit bag! I'm almost there, love. I'll be done in two shakes of a dingo's dick grapes, Henry shouted. What? <laughs> said Elizabeth. <laughs> I said, I'll be done in two shakes of a dingo's dick grapes. <laughs> it's an Australian phrase, we use it all the time. <laughs> Decades had passed since Henry and Elizabeth's spaceship had crash-landed on Uranus, and they'd made a pretty good life for themselves, despite the many adversities they had faced such as the unbreathable atmosphere, deadly cold, and the fact that Uranus was a gas planet and so didn't really have a surface. <laughs> Not to mention all those giant cockroaches. <laughs> but hey, life finds a way, and Henry and Elizabeth found the perfect way to support themselves. Wow. They started a dog farm. Mm. And from the humble beginnings of their two ship dogs, Rover and Rovette, <laughs> they bred season after season of puppies until they had a herd of hundreds and travellers from all over the galaxy were coming to Uranus to buy one of Henry and Elizabeth's hydrogen-breathing space dogs, famous for their friendliness, hardiness and the fact they had six legs because of interbreeding with the cockroaches. And no one would give them a lift off of Uranus. <laughs> no, they, the, the people who were coming, they might not be humans, you know, they might be going to an even more inhospitable to humans planet. True. You know. True. I should think before I speak. <laughs> you should, should speak. speak. You should, should speak before you think. I should speak you before I think. I probably should do, actually. <laughs> Clearly. Just pro proving that. Just <laughs> Henry! Henry! shouted Elizabeth. Don't worry, love. All the dog roaches are in the barn, and only 50 of them froze to death. Mm. So, better than yesterday. It's not that, Henry, said Elizabeth. Look up there. <laughs> Henry swung the beam of his big torch onto Elizabeth to find she was staring up into the heavens. He turned and squinted at the unusually clear sky, at the black expanse of unforgiving emptiness, at the glimmering points of stars in the unimaginable distance at the gigantic robot space dog that was oh. orbiting the planet. Oh, it's a flaming giant metal 
space dog, said Henry. It's as big as a moon, said Elizabeth, but it's shaped like a massive space dog. <laughs> That's no space dog, said Captain Nick T. Bundy. Oh! That is a space station. Oh. Oh, hi, Nick. Where did you come from? <laughs> I've just been updating my diary for the last few days. <laughs> Woke up, ate breakfast, almost froze to death, went bed, Nick explained. But hey, today's entry going to be more interesting. Woke up, ate breakfast, saw gigantic space stations shaped like a dog, went bed. <laughs> Maybe they want to buy some dogs, said Henry. They must really like dogs to have built one as big as a moon. Something's happening, look, said Elizabeth. Its nose holes are opening, and some kind of big cannon-like tubes are coming out of it. Fucking hell. I've got a bad feeling about this, said Henry. <laughs> You've got a bad feeling about an enormous metal space dog appearing in the sky and massive guns coming out of its nose and pointing straight at us. <laughs> yeah, well done, you fucking genius. You must be psychic. A blaring klaxon shook the trees and buildings and dogs. It was the sound of the universe's most awesome PA system being switched on, and it was followed by a voice. A voice amplified so loud it could be heard on Neptune. A deep, booming, commanding voice which said, Hey, you planet idiots, it's me, Darth Satan! <laughs> I'm up here in the sky, can you see me? Okay, you can't see me, but you can see my space station. Do you want to know what I call it? I call it... The Very Bad Dog Star. Yes, The Very Bad Dog Star. And I'm here to solve your dog problem. <laughs> What's he talking about? Said Henry. We haven't got a dog problem. How about the fact that you can't even herd them into the barn without killing 50 of them, you pointless bucket of dick sandwich? <laughs> You're probably saying, boomed the voice, <laughs> we don't have a dog problem. <laughs> Except for the fact that Henry can't even herd them into the barn without killing 50 of them, the pointless bucket of dick sandwich. But here's the thing. You do have a dog problem. And it's this. Your planet contains a lot of living dogs. And my very bad dog star is going to change that. Inside the very bad dog star, a tall, black-caped, black-helmeted figure switched off the awesome PA. Right, let's activate the dog disintegrator ray, shall we? He said to the woman standing next to him at the control panel. Are you quite sure about this? She asked. I mean, don't get me wrong, I hate dogs as much as the next chime lord. Especially since that three-headed tinker stole my cardish and it took me yonks to escape Uranus. But do we really need to go around the universe murdering them all? Yes, we've got to murder all the dogs. Now press the button, Professor Doctor Who. The professor looked up at Darth Satan and wondered if maybe she'd made a mistake becoming allies with the most evil being in existence. But she didn't like to argue, so she pressed the button. Yes, death to all the dogs, yelled Darth Satan triumphantly. Now, I just have one question for you, Professor Doctor Who. Yes, what is it? Where's Padme? <laughs> Is she safe? Is she all right? Darth Satan unclasped his helmet and pulled it clumsily off his abnormally large head. 
Only joking, he said in his normal <laughs> voice. Now the helmet wasn't James Earl Jonesifying him. Yeah. I've never even seen Star Wars. Sounds like a fucking stupid movie, if you ask me. <laughs> a load of monkeys. <laughs> a load of monkeys flying around in spaceships and fighting Daleks. <laughs> Sounds rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Rufus had done it again. Wow. He'd successfully hidden Gret Binchleaf by putting a helmet on him and giving him the name and voice of one of the other characters. It works. What a genius! Everyone was so impressed that they changed their minds about Howard being their favourite Gret Binchleaf writer <laughs> and liked Rufus instead for a change. <laughs> Gret, said Professor Doctor Who, Remind me why it's necessary for us to fly around the galaxy in the very bad jogster and murder all the dogs, would you? I'm, I'm having doubts again. But you already know that, said Gret. It'd be weird and unnatural for me to tell you again. <laughs> oh, go on, said the professor. <laughs> Fine. Gret walked over to a large bar chart sellotaped to the wall. You remember explaining to me that every creature in the universe is equal except dogs. <laughs> Footnote in Chapter 1 of Gret Binchleaf and the Adventure of the Very Bad Dog. Wow. Yes, of course. Dogs are only 50% as equal as everything else. <laughs> exactly. So, by murdering all the dogs, we make the universe a more equal place. Yeah. I'm all about equalness, as you know. One time, I even listened to something a woman said. <laughs> all the way through to the very nearly end. <laughs> Gret gave himself a congratulatory pat on the shoulder. <laughs> and it's lucky I did listen, he said, because it turned out she was doing her own job wrong. And I had to explain <laughs> to her loudly how she should be doing molecular biology. <laughs> Thank goodness for Gret. <laughs> right, well, I suppose that's all right then. If we're working towards equality, you can't make an omelette without breaking dogs, said Gret. Then, under his voice, and... Once all the dogs are dead, there'll definitely be no hellhounds to drag me back to hell and force me to eat babies. And by the time I'm finished slandering his good name, Satan will be so unpopular, I reckon they'll be looking for a new prince of hell. Oh, hello, Gret Binchley. Would you like a job torturing people? Yes, please. How many chips does it pay? <laughs> What's that, he said, jockey Lil? <laughs> nothing, nothing, <laughs> said Gret. Has that flipping death ray finished exterminating all the dogs yet? Professor Doctor Who squinted at the scanner screen, which was scanning for dogs. Mm. It certainly has, she said. There are no more dogs on Uranus. <laughs> Hang on a minute, said Gret. I just got that. No dogs on my anus. <laughs> no wonder everyone's been acting weird every time I talk about Uranus for the last 80 years. I'll tell you what, I may not be quick, but I get there in the end. Except when I don't. <laughs> Gret patted himself again for some reason. I suppose we'd better get to our next dog-destroying destination, said Professor Doctor Who. How many more have we got to do? Well, we blow up the planet of the dogs, and the planet of the logs, and General Zod, just in case. We killed everyone in the Dogabar system, and blew up <laughs> Aldogran, and the forest moon of Endog. If I'm being honest, and I am being honest, I've got no idea if those planets had any dogs on them. I've probably just been writing the names down wrong. That last one was covered in tiny bears. <laughs> it just goes to show, said Professor Doctor Who, puns are dangerous. Mm. Then, so do they blow up the world then? Or just, or the ray doesn't just make dogs die. It, it varies. It, it absolutely varies. Oh, I think it's got two settings. Oh, yeah. One is kill all the dogs and the other one is blow up the world. Up and the it world. just depends what mood Gret's in. Mm, yeah. <laughs> then, after we destroyed Endog, we went to visit my old friend Lumpy. 
<laughs> we went to visit my old friend Lumpy yeah. on Chewbacca World. <laughs> then killed him and his family because I've never been sure if he's a dog or not. And it's better to be safe. <laughs> then we went to Uranus and shot all the dog roaches and now we're here. Where does that leave? asked the professor. Well, according to our informant, we've killed all the dogs on every planet in the galaxy except one. A little planet known to a very small percentage of its inhabitants as Earth. Professor Doctor Who put the very bad dog star into gear and began to reverse away from Uranus. This adventure's been going on for far too bloody long enough, said Gret. Let's tie up all the loose ends, murder all the dogs and call this the final chapter. Mm. Have you got a title for this adventure? asked the Professor. Of course, said Gret. It's called Gret Binchleaf and the Adventure of the Very Bad Dog, Chapter 8. Gret Binchleaf and the Adventure of Doing Star Wars Again, brackets for real this time. The continuing adventures of Gret Binchleaf, the soft-boiled private dick with a crippling fear of pies. Meanwhile, 2.8 billion kilometres away, the President of the United States of America was watching the television news, which appeared to be heading for Earth. According to NASA spokesperson Jim Wilkinson, the object has made several course corrections, which makes it highly unlikely that it is an asteroid. Jim Wilkinson also commented that it appears to be shaped like an enormous space dog, and it's pretty much impossible for an asteroid to be shaped like a dog because of space physics. We now go over to our man in a spaceship, Jeffrey McGeffrey. Thank you, Dickie. I'm here in my little spaceship, approaching the enormous space dog and attempting to make contact. Hello, Mr. Dog. <laughs> Can you hear me? I'd like to ask you a few questions, if I may. I'm getting no answer, but there does appear to be something happening. Two large panels have slid open on its nose, and some sort of cylindrical structure is emerging. I'm wondering if this is an alien form of greeting, like when humans hold out their hands to shake. Wait a minute, the ends of the cylinders are lighting up. I think we're about to receive a message. There was a crackle, followed by a hiss of white noise. Hello, Geoffrey. Can you hear me, Geoffrey? We seem to have lost contact with Geoffrey McGeffrey. Perhaps Mars got in the way or something. We'll have more on this story as we receive it. In other news, ex-president Angry Chimp died this morning, and voices on all sides of the political spectrum have come forward to say... What a great chimp he was. <laughs> that he possessed unrivaled moral courage, changed the world for the better, and never did anything wrong at all. <laughs> a black-clad Secret Service agent walked into the room, and the President muted the TV. Madam President, there's someone here to see you, he said. Don't you think, all things considered, <gasps> that it might actually be a little late for unexpected visitors, said President Caitlin Plastina. Oh, my Christ. He says he knows how to stop the space dog, said the agent, and he's difficult to say no to. Difficult in what way? He's kind of big and red, and he's got horns and a tail, and he's naked. Hmm. Caitlin drummed her fingernails against the desk and pondered. She'd left ghost-shifting behind when she became the most powerful person in the world. Hmm. Now that she had the nuclear launch codes, it seemed frivolous to spend the evenings driving around in an ambulance capturing <laughs> ghost willises. <laughs> But she had to admit, she missed it. Mm. OK, show him in, Jelly, she said. <laughs> My name's not Jelly, said the man. It's O'Brien. Sorry, I was thinking about a receptionist I used to know. 
He was fucking useless most of the time. <laughs> I miss him. <laughs> I wonder what happened to him. <laughs> I can tell you exactly what happened to him, said a wily voice from the open doorway. The same thing that happened to all of us. Gret Binchleaf happened. <laughs> I'm the President of the United States of America, said Caitlin. I can't sit here and have a one-on-one chinwag with Satan. What do you think would happen if Fox News found out I was acting all chummy with the King of Hell? They'd suddenly start liking me. And I can't, I can live without the negative publicity of Fox feckin' news being on my side. Satan sat back in his chair and crossed his legs, which was a relief, as the big red weirdo wasn't wearing any underpants. <laughs> you humans love to blame me for your mistakes, don't you? said Satan, but I've never done a single evil thing. Don't you torture people? I punish evil people. I provide justice for the wicked. I remove all the worst humans, which is what makes heaven possible. Mm. And humans call me evil. Satan scratched his red pointy chin. And I rarely torture people. Normally I let humans make each other's lives miserable. One of my favourites is putting lots of similar people in a room and leaving them to it. <laughs> like my room of white supremacists. They basically have everything they ever wanted. A room full of white people. But do you think they're happy? No. All they do is argue about who is the whitest. <laughs> who has the purest sex and blood fucking morons. And they'll be in there forever, torturing themselves because they're too stupid and hateful to notice that the door isn't even locked. Hmm. Satan smiled, a wide, toothy smile that allowed a forked tongue to flicker over his lips. Almost everyone escaped from hell a few months back, but a few rooms, like the room of white supremacists and the room of Tories, they're still there, arguing about who should pay for the sandwiches that are provided for free. So, I suppose you want me to simply trust you, do you? Satan walks into the Oval Office and says, I'm actually a good guy after all. Do you mind if I play with your nuclear football? <laughs> I can see you're going to take a little persuading, said the Prince of Darkness. Mm. Then let me tell you a story. Will you indulge me? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Caitlin glanced around the empty office. There wasn't much to do. Since she'd introduced socialised medicine, universal basic income, and a progressive tax system that redistributed wealth instead of funnelling it all to a small number of white men, the USA had become a healthy, happy, and wonderful place to live. Which came as a big surprise to all those Republicans who thought that the best way to reduce inequality was to give more money to rich people, the best way to stop gun crime was more guns, and the best way to keep someone alive was to kill them. <laughs> all right, I'll listen to your story, said Caitlin. Very well, then. I call it Hank Satan and the Adventure of the Very Bad Binchleaf. <laughs> Hank Satan? <laughs> it's my full name. <laughs> Said Hank Satan. <laughs> oh, good. It's very good. It's perfect. My story begins many years ago, when one of the worst humans who ever lived arrived unexpectedly in hell. This man had no redeeming features and a list of atrocities as long as the Great Wall of China. Gret Pinchleaf, mm. said Caitlin, the very same. As with all new arrivals in hell, I had to decide on his punishment. Usually, for someone that evil, I would find their worst fear and use that against them. But Gret Binchleaf is so afraid of pies, I worried he'd lose his mind instantly and there'd be nothing left to punish. Just a big, quivering man-jelly. So I gave him a choice between pies and his second biggest fear. Mm. 
He told me, said Caitlin, that you forced him to eat babies. Yes, but did he tell you what babies are? <laughs> I think I know what babies are, <laughs> said Caitlin. I'm not an idiot. I don't look at baby strollers and go, hey, what's that squidgy bag of custard with arms and why are you taking it for a walk? <laughs> you misunderstand, said Satan. Babies is an acronym. Oh, I should have yes. fucking known. <laughs> I should have fucking known. It's an acronym for Broccoli and Beetroot in Esrom Sauce. <laughs> Gret's second biggest fear was having to eat vegetables, so I served it to him three times a day, and he hated it. He would have preferred to eat actual babies. Sometimes he'd beg me for a baked baby or two. Yes, it was the perfect punishment, except for one thing. What's that? It turned out Gret wasn't eating many vegetables because Neil Bloody Starkey was creating chips for him using his magic leg. <laughs> Footnote in Chapter 5 of Gret Binchnape and the Adventure of the Very Bad Dog. Oh, right. Then Gret managed to escape from hell with the help of a genie and got straight back to his evil murdering ways. And he got so bad that I decided I had to do something about it. I needed to recapture him. So I exiled my best friend, Joost Verbidoch, which set a sequence of events in motion that would end with Grit Binchleaf back in hell. Well done, Hank Satan, your plans are cunning and wise. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he escaped again, didn't he? said Caitlin. As a slimy green floating ghost. Footnote in Chapter 6 of Gret Binchleaf and the Adventure of the Very Bad Dog. You don't need to tell them that, they remember that, because it's their favourite chapter of Gret Binchleaf ever. <laughs> Yes, he's a slippery character. He sweats an awful lot. <laughs> but this time, I'm going to get him and keep him, and that's what I need your help for. I haven't agreed to help you yet. No, but maybe you will when you see who else is on our team. Satan waved his hand, and a magic quantum leap-style door appeared in the middle of the room. Yay. Through it walked an enormously fat man who was eating a sausage. <laughs> You're right there, Caitlin, he said. <laughs> it's me, Jeremy Shelton. <laughs> Jelly, I thought you were dead. I am. I'm a spooky ghost now. <laughs> Gret Binchleaf time-travelled all over my lifetime and fed me sausages so that he could trick Satan into damning me instead of him. Footnote in Chapter 7 of Gret Binchleaf and the Adventure of the Very Bad Dog. Ooh, rubbish. And if you think that sounds bad, you should hear what he did to my mum. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very on board to get the fucker back. <laughs> it's great to see you again, Jelly. I've told you before, my name's not Jelly. <laughs> and have you got any alcohol lying around? It's been ages since I shouted at a brick. <laughs> and that's not all, said Satan, as through the magic door walked one of the ugliest men Caitlin had ever seen. Wow. My name's Nick Darnold, <laughs> said Nick Darnold. Because that's what you characterise him as in, in chapter one. That is the only thing you say about You keep mentioning how ugly he is. I don't say he's ugly. Gret <laughs> Binchley well, is ugly. You've just canonised him as being actually ugly. Yeah. My name's Nick Darnold, said Nick Darnold. Gret Binchley punched me the hell for no reason. <laughs> that what happens that's what at the end of that's like the last line of chapter one. It's shocking how many innocent people are in hell because of Gret Binchleaf, said Satan. Although these next two are not examples of innocence. A man skateboarded through the magic door, shortly followed by a dwarf. <laughs> splankers, dude, maximum splankers. 
who's that? <laughs> Said Neil Starkey. This is like the Oval Office. And that's the president. It's splanktastic to meet you, Madame President. <laughs> yes, well, said Ben Shillito. Socialism's all very fine, but have you fully considered the benefits of genocide and thought control? They may not be innocent, but they have the skills we need, and they hate Gret Binchleaf. He abandoned me in hell, dude. It was anti-splanks to the max. <laughs> and I thought we were friends. If it weren't for Gret Binchleaf, I wouldn't have been eaten by that dog twice, said Ben. <laughs> it was 100% his fault and I take no responsibility whatsoever. What I don't understand, said Caitlin, is how you plan to take on Gret Binchleaf with just a bunch of ghosts to help you. You realise he's got a massive Death Star now, and Professor Doctor Who's helping him. I think he's basically one. <laughs> There are two more members of our super team who will work together to destroy Gret Binchleaf. The first needs to arrive through a different door. Mm. Satan waved his hands and the magic door closed as if it had never been there at all. Then, with another wave, he made a second magic door slide up on the other side of the room. And through it walked a very strange-looking man. Hello, it is me, <laughs> Papa Mardekadamanikmaniti, walking in on my thousands of legs. Oh, where did he get all those legs from? Did he go to the leg shop on the way here? Oh, yes, he did. <laughs> the new arrival only had two legs. <laughs> but he did have a pair of golden wings and a halo. Pope Dom got to go to heaven automatically. Satan explained. Because he was Pope, they completely disregarded what a dingo's dick grape he is. <laughs> a what? Uh. asked Caitlin. Oh, it's, it's a phrase I picked up on a recent trip to Australia. They say it all the time. <laughs> oh, did they let me into heaven because of all of my legs? I think they did. <laughs> oh, hello, Pope Mordecadamonic Maniti. Can I borrow one of your legs? No! <laughs> <laughs> Pope Dom flapped his wings and stared at them angrily. <laughs> He's here as a representative of heaven, <laughs> said Satan, because this is a cross-agency operation. Wow. And we need Pope Dom to give us celestial permission to do one vital thing. And that is? Possession. All these ghosts have skills we'd need, but it's pointless if they can't touch anything, because they're stupid, useless ghosts. Mm. Possession, said Caitlin. You want these four ghosts to possess some poor idiot and attack Gret Binchleaf and his Death Star? He calls it a very bad dog star, actually. He's using it to murder every dog that exists. And do you want to know the worst thing? He kidnapped my best friend, Joost Verbido, and he's been torturing him to reveal the location of all the dogs in the universe. How does Joost Verbido know that? He's dog psychic, <laughs> said Satan. Don't look at me like that. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> Come on, he's a three-headed hellhound. It's not that much of a stretch. And besides, his psychic ability was seeded in Chapter 1 when he was mind-talking to Nick Donald over there. Mm. So it's not a convenient final chapter crowbar explanation, actually, mm. said Satan, the Prince of Lies. Yeah. <laughs> right, said Caitlin, who was slowly putting it all together. And I suppose you want me to be the person the ghosts possess. You? No, of course not. You'd be useless. Then why are you here? There is one person who is perfect for the job. Tenacious, violent, drunk enough to say yes when Satan turns up and asks to put some ghosts in her. 
but I've been having a little trouble locating the poor homeless tramp in question. <laughs> Footnotes. Please remember, all uses of the word tramp in this or any other podcast by Rufus and Howard are employing the British meaning, which is homeless person, probably with a beard. <laughs> if you want a podcast that casually uses misogynistic language like slut with no sense of irony or criticism, well, then there's at least three in the top ten most popular podcasts in the world, so you should be fine. Mm. Satan produced a photograph from who knows where since he wasn't wearing any clothes and laid it on the desk. Ah. Her, said Caitlin. Yes, you see, we're going to use the collected skills of these ghosts to infiltrate the very bad dog star. But then we will need one particular skill to murder Gret Binchleaf. He's basically immortal, but he does have an Achilles heel. Mm. Pies? asked Caitlin. No, that's his Achilles meal. His Achilles heel is, he will die if you shoot him in the face with a bazooka. <laughs> so... You need someone who's good with a bazooka. Exactly. And who do you know who's good with a bazooka? Mm. Loads of people. I'm President of the United States. I've hmm. basically got a whole military that's good with a bazooka. You know who I mean, said Satan irritably. I'm talking about the woman in the photo. An old friend of yours. An old friend called... Satan paused for effect. And no one had the faintest clue <laughs> whose name he was about to say. Katie Smith, Yay! he said, and all the listeners shat themselves with surprise. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> what, that homeless woman that used to hang around the ghost shifters and pretend she worked there until eventually we gave her a job because it was just easier that way, <laughs> said Jeremy Shelton. <laughs> the very same. Yes, she's here, sighed Caitlin. She thinks she's my chief of staff, which is not true because actually she's just some weird hobo that won't leave me alone. <laughs> I keep having her thrown out, but she gets back in somehow. She's like mice. <laughs> She's our only hope, said Satan. Great. I'm commander-in-chief of the most expensive military in the world, but Earth's survival depends on one drunk idiot from Manchester. <laughs> isn't it always the way? <laughs> no, no, it isn't, said Caitlin, picking up the phone and dialing the White House bar. <laughs> Look, you go ahead and try to save the world with only a possessed hobo, but while you do... I'll put my ghost army on standby, just in case you utterly fail. Shall I tell you what I think, Yost Furby Dog? Said Gret Binchleaf in The Very Bad Dog Star. I think too many dogs spoil the broth. I was making tomato soup. How did this dog get in? <laughs> Yost Furby Dog whimpered. He was cold, he was hungry, and he really missed his best friend. Hank Satan. <laughs> he was also tied to a table and two of his heads had been gagged. <laughs> I also think, said Gret, that you're lying to me. You're keeping the location of some cabal of dogs secret. Probably your stupid family or something. You should try asking one of the other heads then. You should uh, ungag <laughs> the other heads and then maybe no, that's I'm afraid freeze. that's not going to happen. <laughs> he's finished torturing them. He's, oh, on, he's now right. onto this one. Okay. I, I don't know if you can guess which one it's going to be. Oh, I've told you everything, said Jos Verbenoch. <laughs> And I don't have a family. I was born out of an idea. A universal need. Not out of a mummy dog. <laughs> Gret waved at one of the many stormtroopers who were lined up and waiting for his instructions. The shiny armoured soldier obediently walked over to a torpedo tube and clambered in. Hungry, are you? Yost Fergle Durgle. <laughs> oh yes, so very hungry. I haven't eaten in months. You'd probably enjoy devouring that stormtrooper, wouldn't you? Oh, yes, he looks very tasty. <laughs> His name's John. John the Stormtrooper. 
And he is very tasty. I licked him earlier. He was all salty and minty fresh. Yummers. You don't know what you're missing. (laughs) Gret licked his lips and rubbed his hands together gleefully. Oh, please let me eat him, Mr. Pinchleaf. I'm so hungry. Gret held out a hand so that it was hovering over a large red button on the control console. Wouldn't it be a shame if someone shot him into space by accident? <laughs> said Gret. Please don't. Tell me where the other dogs are and you can eat him. <laughs> but I've already told you about all of them. Gret shook his head as though disappointed with a contrary child. Whoops. <laughs> he said and dropped his hand onto the button. Joost Verbidoch whined with hunger as another meal hurtled into space and died. <laughs> Kevin the Stormtrooper, said Gret, your turn, get in the torpedo tube, you loser. (laughs) As Kevin the Stormtrooper climbed compliantly into the tube, there was the swoosh of a door opening behind them, and a large woman in ill-fitting clothes swept in. You're right there, Jockey Love, she said. What is it, Professor Doctor Who, said Gret, sassily. (laughs) We just passed me, so we'll be arriving at Earth shortly. Splankers, said Gret. <laughs> I'd better finish writing my speech for when we arrive. You know, when I pretend to be Darth Satan again. I don't think it's got enough mentions of how brilliant Gret Binchleaf is. <laughs> and if they'd listened to him occasionally instead of having a special day to celebrate his disappearance, which was very hurtful, I don't mind telling you, then maybe they wouldn't be in this planet-destroying pickle. Mm. Gret grabbed a pen and started chewing it like it were a chip. What have you been doing, Gret? asked Professor Doctor Who. Why are all these stormtroopers in here? I've been shooting them into space to upset Yost Burgle George over there. <laughs> You've been... what? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, I bet you'd like to eat Rob the Stormtrooper, wouldn't you? <laughs> Bang! Well, you can't because he's dead in space. Ha ha, 50 <laughs> points to Gret Benchleaf. Who's winning? Gret Benchleaf is. He's got all the points. Oh, does he get a prize? Yes, he does. He gets to do it again. Bang! There goes Richard <laughs> the Stormtrooper, flying off into space all dead. Ha ha, bonk. <laughs> Gret took a medal from his pocket in his cape and pinned it to his breastplate. <laughs> well done, Gret, you've earned this, he said. Yeah. How many stormtroopers have you shot into space? 867, <laughs> said Gret. <laughs> what am I like? <laughs> but that only leaves us with 13, said Gret. Unlucky for some. <laughs> Gret leaned over and punched the big red button. <laughs> there, that's better. 12's a much nicer number, isn't it? <laughs> Oh dear, I've got a bad feeling we're going to need those stormtroopers when we get to Earth. Rubbish. I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna read them my great speech over the PA. Shouldn't take more than a couple of hours. Then I'll blow up the planet with the death rays which you built. Doctor Hugh is famous for making guns. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we're not gonna need a load of helmeted chin bananas getting in the way and eating too many chips, said Gret. Your turn, Mark Punch on the Stormtrooper. <laughs> Get in the tube, you pillock. <laughs> Professor Doctor Who watched another of the white-clad soldiers trudge over to the torpedo hatch and climb in. <sighs> Even sure, she said. Maybe I'll go and defrost a few hundred mion just to be on the chef's side. <laughs> As the very bad dog star drew closer and closer to Earth, much frantic preparation was underway. In an underground laboratory at the Pentagon, Katie Smith was being shown around by a tall, thin woman dressed entirely in white. Look at this thing here, said Mon Mothma. (laughs) This thing with the door on the front. Can you guess what it is? I don't know, sir, said Katie Smith. Some kind of 
cupboard? Hmm. No, try again. Can't you just tell me? Okay, it's a teleportation pod, said Mon Mothma. <laughs> Can you guess who made it? Hmm. Um, that fat bloke over there? <laughs> Which one? The bald one, said Katie. <laughs> the one who's fat, but not comedy fat. <laughs> no, try again. Hmm. I'd rather not, sir. <laughs> Okay, it was Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> He's over there being sick in his dinner. <laughs> Katie looked at where Mon Mothma was pointing. A tall man with wings appeared to be talking to himself. Yeah, cast him, cast him. <laughs> he was saying, nah, never should have helped Greg Binchley. Worst mistake of my life. Even worse than not checking the teleportation pod for flies. Yeah, cast him, cast him, yeah. <laughs> He's helping us in the rebellion against Gret Binchleaf because he feels guilty for helping Gret become human again after Gret died and was a spooky ghost. Footnote in chapters 6 and 7 of Gret Binchleaf and the Adventure of the Very Bad Dog. I'd remember that, sir. I used to work with him. I never much liked him, though. He was always telling me what he thought. And then something else that he thought. But both things he thought were fucking stupid and he should have kept his idiot mouth shut. I'll tell you what, I'm right looking forward to bazookering him in the face. <laughs> First, we have to get you close enough to him. And for that, we need this teleportation booth. The other one is on the very bad dog star. Oh, sir, how did you get it on there? It was tricky. Many bothans died to get that teleportation booth onto the very bad dog star. What the fuck is a bothan? <laughs> no one knows, <laughs> said Mom Mothma. Oh, sir, said Katie Smith. Shall I get in here, then? Katie Smith swung open the door to the teleportation booth, but Mon Mothma put out a hand to Mon stop her. <laughs> in a moment. <laughs> in a moment. First, I have to do the checklist that our leader, Lord Satan, hero of the resistance and all-round good guy, gave me. Number one. Have you been possessed by the ghosts of Jeremy Shelton, Ben Shillito, Neil Starkey and Nick Donald? I certainly have, sir. Pope Mordecai Dominic Maniti did a ritual. Good. It was a bit weird, actually, said Katie. It involved him bumming three goats. <laughs> I see. To death? <laughs> okay. And now I can hear voices in my head, said Katie. Now you know what my life's like, said Nick Donald's voice in her head, hearing flipping voices all the time. Even now, I can hear Brigadier Binchleaf going bang, bloody bang, bang. <laughs> and the brick saying, Durr, what's he saying, boss? And Lucas Lowry saying, well, the brick. <laughs> you can hear their voices, said Mon Mothma. I can, sir. Right now. <laughs> Nick Donald is saying that he can hear Brigadier <laughs> Binchleaf going bang, bloody bang, bang. And then he can hear the brick saying, Durr, what's he saying, boss? And then Lucas Lowry saying, well, the brick. What's the hold-up here? Came the booming voice of Satan <laughs> as he entered the hangar bay and swept over to them. <laughs> well, Satan, <laughs> said Mon Mothma. Yeah. Katie Smith was just telling me that she can hear <laughs> Nick Donald's voice in her head saying that Brigadier Binchleaf is going bang, thuddy, bang, bang. And then she told me that Nick Donald said that the brick said <laughs> And then she said that Nick Donald said that Lucas Lowry said, well, the brick. Do you think I came here for a recap of Binchleaf Bedlam? Asked Satan. Do you think I have time to listen to you? Tell <laughs> 
Tell me uh, that Peggy Smith told you that Nick Donald's voice in her head said that he can hear Brigadier Pinchley going bang, thuddy, bang, bang, followed by the brick saying, duh, what's he saying, and so on. Is this a guessing game? Said Mon Mothman. I like guessing games. Do you want to hear a story about my 14-year-old boobs? Be quiet, Mon Mothma snapped Satan and grabbed the checklist from her hand. Let's see, you've been possessed. We know that. No need to go through all that again. So, question two. Have you got your bazooka? Katie Smith held up her enormous weapon. Mm. Oh, sir, she said. <laughs> Good. Question three. Have you got a skateboard? Katie held up the skateboard she was holding under her other arm. I'm still not clear why I need this, she said. You'll see, Satan told her. Question four. Have you checked that no flies or crabs have got into the teleportation booth while you weren't looking? The three of them peered around the booth until they were sure it was empty. Seems good to me, said Katie Smith. Oh, hang on. Katie leaned in and picked up the raccoon they'd almost missed. (laughs) Don't want to arrive at the very bad dog star half raccoon, do I? Don't want to get distracted from my mission by an irresistible desire to go through a bin. I mean, what with me being a tramp and all, it's tempting enough already. (laughs) Satan nudged Katie Smith into the booth and closed the door. Time to go, he said, and pressed the big red button. Wow. Katie looked down at herself to check she didn't have wings or crab legs or a shell. Like that time Jeff Goldblum had teleported his sister, Steph Goldblum. And when no one was looking, a giant tortoise had got into the booth. (laughs) Poor old Steph Goldblum. She'd had to learn karate and go and live in the sewer with a giant rat called Splinter. (laughs) Katie Smith counted her arms and legs and heads and was satisfied with the results. Then she quietly opened the teleportation booth door, just a crack, and peered out into a wide spacecraft landing bay, which was full of stormtroopers. Oh, sir, Katie whispered grabbing a hip flask from her jacket pocket and downing half a litre of whiskey. Who are we supposed to get past that lot? Why don't you shoot them? said the <laughs> voice of Jelly Shelton. I can't shoot innocent soldiers, said Katie. Besides, this bazooka only has one rocket in it, and I need that for Greg Binchleaf, don't I? I can deal with the stormtroopers, said the voice of Ben Shillito. You simply need to get over to that control panel on the other side of the hangar, and I'll take care of things. How am I supposed to get all the way across there? Someone will see me. That's where I come in, said Neil Starkey. Mind if I take over for a moment? Mm. Katie nodded and felt her awareness step back a little. She watched as her right hand adjusted the bazooka strap so it sat more comfortably on her back, then dropped the skateboard to the floor and steadied it with a confident left foot. Maximum splankers, (laughs) she heard her own voice say, and then watched as she performed a perfect nose-blunt slide into the docking bay, (laughs) keeping her head low. She confidently moved into an overcooked grind, and with a needless but spectacular Delmar Indy, she frontside (laughs) heel-flipped and stopped right in front of the control panel, while Rufus hoped that none of the listeners were skateboarders because he was probably using some or all of those terms wrongly. (laughs) Splankerific, she heard her own voice say. Then she felt her elbow jerk backwards to hit the wall and her hand curl around to catch the can of cola that magically <laughs> fell out of it. She pulled the tab down the coke, said, Splankalicious, dude, Splankalicious. <laughs> and then Neil Starkey relinquished control of her body so Katie was back in charge. Oh, sir, she said. 
It all happened so fast and so smoothly that none of the stormtroopers had seen her. Right, now, open that panel and you'll find a numbered keypad, said Ben Shillito. Katie pressed a hand against the panel and it breathed open like a CD player in the 90s. Now key in this code, said Ben, and began to recite a very long series of numbers. Katie pressed the buttons as she was instructed until Ben's voice paused. Now press activate, he said. Now press yes, and yes again, and confirm, and yes again, and press the green button three times. <laughs> okay, here we go. There was a crackle of electricity, and every one of the stormtroopers in the hangar fell to the floor, dead. Oh my gosh. What the bleeding creaky happened there? I killed them all. Problem solved. How did you know how to do that? I designed this Death Star, you see, said Ben. Uh, Very bad Dark Star, Katie corrected. When I designed it, it was a Death Star. Back when I was ruler of the world, I thought it would be nice to have the power to kill absolutely everyone if I ever felt like it. Hmm said Ben Shillito. And of course, no great dictator really trusts his soldiers. So I included a stormtrooper kill switch in every room, which would kill all the stormtroopers in that room. Just in case. In case of what? In case I got bored, mostly. Right, well, said Katie, let's hope we don't need your help again, shall we? <laughs> now, is Nick Darnold in there? Ready and correct, your leaderful mamness, said Nick Darnold. <laughs> oh, sir, said Katie. Oh, sir, said Nick Darnold. <laughs> oh, sir, they said together. <laughs> time for you to use your omnidirectional time and space ears to tell me which way to Yost Verbidoke so we can rescue him. It's, uh, I was say, it's, uh, it's like, it's like, they're like bookend characters, aren't they? In that respect. Mm, because yeah. these are the very first one going, oh, sir. Yeah, yeah. saying, oh, sir. Yeah, I'm not sure if he said, does he say, oh, sir. Oh. He probably doesn't, but they do have oh, the same the voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, said Nick Darnold. But if we need to turn left at any point, I'm afraid we're all going to have to listen to Binchleaf Bedlam again. <laughs> Ten only minutes later, Katie Smith was walking down another corridor. Are you sure we're going in the right direction? She whispered. It's difficult navigating this Death Star without ever turning left, said Nick Donald. Hey, we all agreed it's worth it not to have to listen to Binchleaf Bedlam again, (laughs) said Jeremy Shelton, and they all spent a few minutes maligning it. (laughs) And the other prop... Fuck you, Jeremy Shelton. (laughs) Yeah, well, at least you put him in hell forever. Sorry I rescued him. Damn it. And the other problem with never turning left, said Nick Donald, is that every time we turn right, I can hear Fred and Ivor doing a rubbish pun. (laughs) Right now, Ivor's saying, here Fred, and Fred's saying yes, (laughs) and Ivor's saying, how many brothers has James Bond got? And Fred's saying he doesn't know, and Ivor's saying, he's got Timothy Dalt one. (laughs) He's got Timothy Dalt one. Brilliant. And usually the theme tune plays here, but, but Fred's saying, that's not true. Fred says James Bond hasn't got Timothy Dalt one, brothers. He's got Roger more than that. <laughs> He's got Roger more than that. <laughs> and now Ivor's looking it up on the internet. He's found the answer. Apparently, the number of brothers James Bond has is Sean Connor 3. <laughs> it's Sean Connor 3. Having successfully inserted a stupid bit to keep the idiot ones in the gang happy, Rufus got on with the story. That's very impressive, uh, <laughs> very impressive work. Because one was Pierce Brosnan, right? Yeah. Pierce Brosnan, yeah. yeah. Is that end um, in chapter one? Dunk? Yeah, it's, it's, it's what Nick Donald hears. Yeah, oh, 
I mean, that's some, some joke writing skills you got there to, to then take that all took, the other. That took no time at all. I, I thought of that. I thought of Sean Connor three first, obviously, because that's okay. the dumbest. And then I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do that. But then I thought, hang on, Timothy Dalton one. Hang on, Roger Moore. I'll just use all three. And it literally took about eight seconds. And that is when I was listening to everyone one. that's ever played James Bond. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> okay. We can hear someone coming, said Katie. What should we do? There's no kill switch in this corridor, said Ben Shillito. Better hide instead, said Nick Darnold. No, stand and fight. Have we considered all the benefits inherent in sitting down on the floor and getting drunk? <laughs> asked Jeremy. I can produce chips with my magic leg. <laughs> I can produce chips with my magic leg, said Neil Starkey. Like, maybe that would help. <laughs> the footsteps were drawing ever closer, and Katie was in a long corridor with absolutely no hiding consoles in it. You are fucking useless, he said. What, even me? said Neil Starkey. Katie clenched her fists as the footsteps reached the corner. She'd have to fight. She had no choice, and she couldn't use her one weapon as she needed it to kill Gret Binchleaf. Fisticuffs it would have to be. Thank goodness for all that practice she'd got late at night in the park, fighting off Jim the Tramp, <laughs> who was always trying to dance with her. Okay, you lot, she whispered. Keep your idiot mouths closed while I use my previously undisclosed superpower... Tramp punch! <laughs> Katie raised her fists, ready to thump a stormtrooper right in the helmet. But it wasn't a stormtrooper that walked around the corner. Instead came a large woman in ill-fitting clothes who said, You're not a jockey, sweet aunt. <laughs> it's Professor Doctor Who, said Jeremy No-Shit Sherlock Shelton. <laughs> Greg Binchleaf's right-hand man-woman. <laughs> oh, sir, said Katie Smith. She'd heard stories of this powerful being and her supersonic screw gun. Katie might have been able to take on a trained soldier in plastic armour, but she didn't fancy her chances against Professor Doctor Who. Mm. A little beardy tells me that you're here to kill Gret Binchleaf, said the professor. And since that little beardy is called K.A. Thing, I'm inclined to believe it. Mm. Katie Smith had never trusted that robot dog. Not when she looked after him for Caitlin. Not when she worked alongside him in the Ghost Shifters. Not when she mistook his back legs for a couple of tasty sausages hmm. that were running around the park after a frisbee for some reason. <laughs> sure, said Professor Doctor Who. Are you here to kill Gret Binchley if you're not? Lie to her, said Ben Shillito's voice in her head. Tell her you're a stormtrooper who's lost his helmet. Tell her you're a stormtrooper who's having a woman period, and that's why you've turned into a woman, said Nick Donald, who unfortunately had taken a lot of what Gret Binchley told him to heart. <laughs> Tell her your name's Obi-Wan Kenobi's, and you're here <laughs> looking for your bees, said Jelly Shelton. Katie looked into Professor Doctor Who's eyes and decided to ignore the shower of idiots in her head. Mm -hmm. I am, sir, she said. I am here to kill Gret Binchleaf. Marvellous, said Professor Doctor Who. Then I'll give you a hand. Ten morely minutes later, they'd released Joost Verbido from his cell and were heading in the direction of the bridge to kill Gret Binchleaf. A human woman, a three-headed hellhound, and a space alien who happened to look a bit like a human woman at the moment, much to the chagrin of morons. I ain't half hungry, said Katie. I don't suppose you've got any sandwiches lying around this Death Star, have you? I'm afraid not, Jockey Sweetheart. We haven't had sandwiches since our sandwich girl was kidnapped by space Nazis and brainwashed and now she's their queen living on space Nazi world. <laughs> oh, sir, said Katie. Then maybe I'll have those two sausages that are walking along the corridor <laughs> next to us. Oh, they're not sausages, they're my back legs, <laughs> said Joost Verbido. Oh, sir, 
said Katie, and decided to eat one when he wasn't looking. But before she got the chance to gnaw off bits of the giant hellhound, they reached the door to the bridge. It's locked, said Professor Doctor Who. That's strange, it's never been locked before. The Professor knocked loudly. Knock, knock, who's there? Doctor Who, she shouted. (laughs) Gretty love, are you in there? Are you manstibating again? He's probably manstibating. It's what he calls it when he stands in front of the mirror and congratulates himself for being so good at everything. You can't come in, shouted a voice from the other side. I saw you on the scanner screen betraying me, conspiring with my enemies to murder me. Oh, I thought we were friends. <laughs> I'm sorry, Greg, but you've gone too far. Now let us in so we can bazooka you to death. No, no I'm not talking to you and I'm not going to be your friend anymore, so no. <laughs> oh, I could try headbutting the door until it falls down, suggested Joost Verbidoog. I could use one of my less useful heads. <laughs> If only I had my supersonic screwdriver with me, said the professor. Without it, we're lost. It's not like any of us can walk through walls, is it? <sighs> the three creatures shook their many heads. I can walk through walls, Hooray! said Jeremy Shelton. Really, sir? Yes, I'm walk through wall man. It's my main skill. <laughs> Other than getting incredibly drunk and shouting at bricks. <laughs> oh, sir, that's excellent news. Take over and get me on the other side of that door. Or, said Jelly, perhaps we could look for a bar. (laughs) Sir, a a bar? (laughs) There's bound to be somewhere that sells alcohol on the space station as big as this. Let's go and find it and get drunk. (laughs) Oh, sir, that is a good idea. (laughs) No, interrupted Ben Shillito. Stay on target. We're here to kill Gwet Binchleaf. Then afterwards, we can get well and truly ham bollocksed. (laughs) Footnote. Howard used that word twice in his last chapter, so I assume it's a thing now. Yeah. Katie explained the new plan to Professor Doctor Who and Joost Verbidoch. Then, with Jeremy Shelton's help, Katie Smith walked through the wall. She found herself in a cavernous control room, with a big window looking out onto space, and on an incongruous chaise long, reclining and sipping at a martini, was the gargantuan form of Gret Binchleaf. Katie Smith, mm. he said coquettishly. I've been expecting you. Greta Binchley had made an ugly ghost, all green and lumpy and floating around and eating all the chips. But somehow, he made an even uglier human. And he was smiling at Katie, with lips that looked like used hot dog sausages and teeth so yellow you could have walked down them to meet the Wizard of Oz. Ah, very good. K.T. Smith. Gret said, savouring every syllable of the three syllables. What a wholly unique name. Do you mind if I have it? <laughs> Pardon? You have a beautiful name. Can I have it? I've been thinking of changing mine. I've been Gret Binchley for a few thousand years. Maybe I'll try being Katie Smith for a while. Mm. Hello, my name's Katie Smith. Would you like to borrow my wheelbarrow? <laughs> Gret stood and flounced over to a long table which occupied the eastern corner of the room. That's for you. His long black cloak billowing behind him. I suppose you're wondering if I'm going to blow up the earth or not, Mm. he said. Well, I've just been discussing the matter with my council of advisers. Let me introduce you to them. Gret stood behind one of the chairs at the long table. This is Rock President. (laughs) He's in charge after me, said Gret, pointing to one of the many rocks lined along the table. This is Rock Shooty Man. He does gun things. This is Grand Moff Rock. He... I don't know what he does. I don't know what a moff is. (laughs) This is Rock Susan Cheese in a Bag. <laughs> Gret stifled a chuckle. It's actually Rock Prostitute in disguise. But he doesn't mind dressing up for me to make me feel less lonely. 
This is Rock Best Friend, <laughs> said Gret in a faltering tone. And, and these are Rock Mum and Rock Dad. Oh. This is Rock Mandula. And here's Rock Charlie Chipshitter. And, and Rock Gret Jr. And Rock Dick, my brother. They're all here and didn't leave me or get killed by me or whatever. <laughs> oh, and here's Rock Brillo Dillo Detective Magazine Editor. <laughs> What's that, Rock Brillo Dillo Detective Magazine Editor? You want to put me on the cover again because I'm the greatest detective who ever lived? Well, all right then, since you are so nicely. Uh, Tears were streaming down Gret's gnarly face and his breath was coming in hiccuping sobs. Why does nobody who's not a rock love me? He said. (laughs) Oh, sir, said Katie. I'm sure somebody cares about you. Gret fell to his knees and began pounding the metal floor with his fists. Monkeys! (laughs) Not even my pet monkeys like me. No one likes me. Even I don't like me, really. Every time I get copied or meet a me from a different universe, we always end up as enemies. There must be something wrong with me. Katie Smith stared down at Gret's quivering form. She'd never seen anything so pathetic, so drained of dignity, so terribly alone. I tried to be a good person, Gret bawled. I tried to save people and solve cases and be a good man. But people kept getting murdered around me because I murdered them. (laughs) But everyone deserves a second chance, don't they? Don't I deserve forgiveness? Gret looked up at her through eyes brimming with tears. I think I could be good if I just had a friend, Mm. he said. If there was someone I could rely on, someone who could teach me right from wrong, like... When murder is right and when it's wrong. (laughs) Everyone always leaves me, but I think I could be good if just one person would stay. Katie couldn't help it. She tried to harden her heart, to fortify her resolve, but a sliver of sympathy crept in. This whimpering mountain of gibbering man-blubber really was alone in his enormous flying space dog. And maybe the test of a person was not how they treated their friends, but their enemies. Anyone can be good when life is easy. The true test is how kind you can be when those who've hurt you beg for forgiveness. Maybe all Gret Binchleaf did need was a friend. Maybe everything evil he'd ever done was because he was lonely and haunted by the ghosts of his past. Maybe the thing that could save him was right here, in this room, pointing a bazooka at his head. Will you help me, Katie Smith? said Gret in a small, hopeful voice. Will you? Be my friend. (laughs) Katie lowered her bazooka and smiled. No, sir, (laughs) she said and shot Gret Binchleaf in the face. Hey, I mean, boo. (laughs) Well done, ducky sweet love, said Professor Doctor Who. You shot him right in the kisser. I've never seen anyone more dead than Gret Binchleaf. (laughs) And I've got a friend called Dederick Deddington. Who's so dead that not even Jeff Goldblum can bring him back to life? No, sir, said Katie Smith. What do we do now? Just go home? Well, I suppose we could, yes, but... I mean, we have got this very bad dog star, and it is powerful enough to destroy whole planets. Perhaps we could, I don't know, do some good with it. Mm. Oh, sir, I like that idea, said Katie. We could use something as powerful as this to make the universe a happier place. And since none of the stormtroopers know that Gret Binchleaf is dead, they'll basically follow the orders of whoever is wearing this helmet. Professor Doctor Who held up the shiny black helmet that Gret had used to disguise himself as Darth Satan. Oh, sir, I would like to make the universe a more equal place, 
said Katie, as the professor lowered the helmet over her head and fastened the clasps at the back. Well, jockey sweetheart, said Professor Doctor Who, how does it feel? Oh, sir, said, <laughs> said Katie, I feel like an entirely new woman. <laughs> hey, what do you say before we start making the universe a better place? We go and visit a few old adversaries of mine and give them the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> It can't hurt, can it? Mm. And I do have this list of people I've always wanted to murder. <laughs> you know, people who totally deserve it because they're so horrible and mean to puppies and guff like that. Mm. Uh, right, do you, do you think it, that starting with murder is <laughs> the best approach? You've got to show them who's boss, sir. <laughs> and this list of yours, is it very long? Yes, it is very long indeed. <laughs> and if you keep questioning me, I'm going to add another name to it. <laughs> and that name will be yours, in case my implication wasn't clear enough, sir. <laughs> but nobody knows my name, said Professor Doctor. It's a mystery. Ooh. <laughs> I thought your name was Buckroy Dunderfar. <laughs> Whatever, dude, it doesn't matter. If I can't put you on the list, I'll just shoot you in the face with my bazooka. Let's see you regenerate your way out of that one, loser. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Katie bent down, pulled the long black cloak from Gret Binchleaf's headless corpse, and flung it around her own neck. Yes, I'll make the universe a better place, all right, by getting rid of all the bad people. The naughty people. The bad naughty people. And when I've killed 90% of the population, we can all live in peace and harmony under the benevolent rule of Darth Katie. Epilogue. In the darkest depths of hell, Satan was sitting in his chair of skulls at the head of his ancient banqueting table. Would you like some more cheese on your babies? Hmm. He asked, holding up the cheese grater. Go on then, said Gret. <laughs> if I must eat vegetables, might as well cover them in cheddar. <laughs> Satan leaned over and began shredding a huge block of cheese onto Gret's plate of broccoli and beetroot. I can't believe you thought I intended to use this grater on you, said Satan. I told you, I don't torture people like that. And I hate to see people truly suffer, which is why... I always cook your vegetables in cheese sauce with extra cheese. How long do you think it'll be before we get some more people in hell? asked Gret. It's flipping boring with just me, you and those three dogs. Gret pointed at Yost Verbido, <laughs> who, who was asleep on the rug, proving that he really hadn't understood what was going on for most of the adventure. <laughs> there are a few Tories and white supremacists here, said Satan, but I don't break bread with people like that. On the bright side, I hear that the ghost shifters are reforming, so that should help us repopulate a bit. And apparently, Katie Smith is determined to kill almost everyone in the universe, <laughs> so I expect there'll be more people at this table soon. Thank God for that, said Gret. It's so boring down here with just you and those stupid dogs. <laughs> God had nothing to do with it, said Satan. After all, I never did manage to drill to heaven and ask her for help. Satan grated the last of the cheese onto Gret's plate and sat back in his stagey skull throne. Is that it? whined Gret. <laughs> Your plate contains 5% vegetables and 95% cheese, Satan pointed out. Exactly, said Gret. Needs more cheese. <laughs> Fine, I'll go and get some, said Satan, rising and walking out of the room. He'd always found it difficult to say no to people. Perhaps because the first time he'd done it, he'd been cast out of heaven and made to play the bad guy for the rest of eternity. Mm. But Satan was an angel at heart, 
He cared about justice and equalness, and he hated seeing people unhappy. It was one of the many things that made his job so difficult. And, if he was honest with himself, perhaps there was a part of him that was beginning to like Gret Binchleaf. Mm. He arrived at the Hell Kitchen, grabbed the largest block of cheese from the fridge, and made his way back to the dining room. As he approached, he noticed that he'd been so tied up in thought, he'd left the door wide open. And he knew Joost Verbidoke was fast asleep because he'd read him a bedtime story not 30 minutes earlier. But he was sure it would be fine. After all, it was ridiculous to think that someone could escape from hell three times. Mm. Satan walked back into the dining room where he found Gret's chair and his plate completely empty. Oh, bugger, he said. Joost, wake up. I'm afraid I'm going to have to send you back to Uranus. <laughs> Listening to this episode of the worst writer in the world. If you would like more Ooh. stuff by us, right? Mm-hmm. Some good stuff, you know, entertaining audio and video stuff. Yeah, please. By us, like this, but more, but longer like more and better, Gret and bigger. Yeah, more Gret Binchleaf, more worst writer, more, wow. more stories, more sketches, more everything. Mm-hmm. Then go to patreon.com forward slash man by cow and see what you could get your ears on for as little as $2 a month and at the same time make us happy, show support for this show and keep us making more stuff every week, right? Every week. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> Sometimes. Like twice a week because we do things for yeah, Patreon yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. Every Twice every week or every yeah. twice week. You know, that was right the first Every time. twice week. Let's yeah. go with every twice week. Every twice so week. So if you would like something every twice week from us then just join our Patreon and make us mm. happy. Make yourself happy. Join our Patreon, make us happy, mm. and let us mm. make you happy. Yeah, it's getting a bit sexual now. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds a bit dirty. Just, no, I did not mean it. Clean. I did not mean it like that. I am not offering myself um, sexually Come for money. Come and make that, us just... happy, and we'll return the favour <laughs> for your money. No, no, that's not what I want. So uh, stop arresting me, please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> stop arresting me. Like, like police just appear when you say something. Right, like I've summoned police. Poof, and now. Yeah. Here I am. He's Mr. Black, Mr. Black, policeman, come and arrest no, you. What's that? You off, offering people blowjobs, was you? Okay, well, maybe I won't arrest you then. Maybe I won't arrest you then. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye, Mill. Bye-bye, Mill. He's a stupid, suck-ass, rubbish writer. Yeah.